Happy Monday, movie fans. Welcome to the Sneak Preview. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is episode three of our newest podcast dedicated to following the current film release calendar. Today's episode will focus on the January 15th Amazon Prime release, One Night in Miami, an enlightening what-if civil rights era drama from Regina King and Kemp Powers. But before we get into that, we got to see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. So it was a lengthy week. Uh, quite a lot of news just popped up here and there. So I gathered what I could find. And uh, here's kind of the highlights. Uh, first up, trailers. So I have four trailers I want to discuss. Uh, first up, the second trailer for the upcoming Judas and the Black Messiah was released. Uh, that's currently set for a February 12th release on HBO Max. Uh, have you gotten a chance to check that trailer out, Austin? I, uh, I've spoken a bit about trailers in my yeah. life. This is one that I've, this is one that I've skipped because I don't need to see it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to watch the movie no matter what. And I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, I think it looks spectacular from the photographs I've seen and I just I've stayed away from like a full length trailer for like that. Malcolm Marie is another one I, I have skipped and I, I think I know what I'm getting into and it's going to be good. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I like trailers because I want to see kind of, you know, I want a little tease of like, what is this going to be? And for sure, for sure. The two trailers they've released for Judas and the Black Messiah so far could not be further apart. The first trailer is very, you know, dramatic and almost action-packed and unflinching while the second one is very soft and very like lighthearted, almost like you know this could be something that's going to make you cry as opposed to something that's going to piss you off so with those two trailers in mind i'm very intrigued what the final tone of this film is going to be so yeah yeah, yeah i'm psyched for that big time and i'm so happy it's going to be getting an hbo max release yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I, I cannot wait for that one. It's definitely, you know, if I had a list of my most anticipated movies of the year, that would be somewhere in the top five. I, I just, I think Lakeith and Kaluuya are two of the most special performers right now. Um, you know, they're smack dab about to, I think they're about to start their prime and, you know, really take it away. Uh, in particular, I, ha I have a strong connection to Lakeith. I, I really, really like that guy. Uh, I think, I think he's going to kind of blow people away again. You know, he's going to keep doing that uh, until people totally believe it. Yeah, for sure. I think both these guys are going to have a huge boost with this movie. I mean, just from the little bit we've seen, Daniel Kaluuya is completely unrecognizable. And yeah. that is, that's amazing. When I you know, when you get to see an actor really disappear, it's amazing. It does not happen often. People like to think it happens all the time. It really doesn't. And this looks very special. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I've got my eye on this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely going to be uh, a movie we highlight on this show. And I think it's uh, safe to say that we're both anticipating not just to be entertained by it, but for, yeah, for it to be a, a special movie. Yeah. It's the story of Fred Hampton. Very exciting. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
Next up, the first trailer for the United States versus Billie Holiday was released. Um, that's looking at a February 26th release on Hulu. Another film that looks very frustrating and uh, informative. It's the story of uh, Billie Holiday and her fight to play the song Strange Fruit at a time where the nation was heavily, you know, on a powder keg. So I think that looks fantastic. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm loving this surge. I think 2021 is looking like an amazing year for independent film. Oh, yeah. Like the blockbuster is kind of dead right now. And this is looking like we're getting a lot more films that wouldn't usually shine are getting an opportunity to really pop. And that is just fucking great. And this is one of those films for sure. Yeah, it's, it, it is dead, you know, because the box office is, is dead. So you can't you can't be a, you know, MCU movie. You know, you can't be Infinity War or Endgame right now. You just can't do it. It's impossible. So you're right. I think this is a chance for films like like that to thrive, you know. And I think 2020 had some stuff to like some really special independent films to offer. I just think people weren't ready, you know, for that to be the norm, but it's going to yeah. be the norm. It's going to be the norm this year. And you're, you're going to see more. I, I, I'm excited. I think it's great. I think it's good for, for movies in general, for whatever, however big or whatever the movie, you know, cinephile community is. I think it's good that the majority of it is getting excited about movies like the ones we're talking about here. Um, I think that's a big deal. I think that's something we can be positive about with the way the landscape is changing. And I'm, I'm excited to be along for the, for the ride this year to see, like you said, these independent films just kind of be in the spotlight. I'm a sucker for, like, as much as I love a good blockbuster, as much as I love to sit there and, you know, be spoon fed uh, an action thriller or a Marvel movie or a you know comic book remake, all this shit. I love it, but I am a sucker for original stories and true stories. And that's looking like what we're going to be getting most of this year. <laughs> so I say bring it on. Yeah, exactly. Can't wait. Next up, the trailer for Cherry. Uh, looking like a February 26th release on Apple TV+. Plus. Tom Holland stars as a PTSD-suffering ex-soldier who becomes a bank robber. Uh, it's from the Russo brothers, the, guy who gave us, the guys who gave us Infinity War and Endgame. This is their next project. Uh, this looks very intriguing, uh, big career step for Tom Holland. I think he's really trying to kind of shed the Spider-Man image and become his own, uh, actor. We saw that with the devil all the time. And I think this is just going to propel that forward even more. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tom Holland, if he's to make any smart moves right now, it is to not just be Spider-Man. Uh, I thought he did a damn good job in the devil all the time. Right. Just, just, just a few months back, honestly. And this film, you know, I watched the trailer for this one. This is one where I'm like, let's see what's going on here. You know? And I, I think Tom Holland has the potential to not just shed the, you know, being pigeonholed as Spider-Man. I, I, I think he has potential to like become a, an awesome, awesome action actor, like awesome where he can do things 
that are dramatic where he, he, he clearly has the willingness to change his voice and do different things. And I love that at his age already, that he's, he's not just going to be Spider-Man, you know, um, these characters are important. And this film cherry looks special. I think, I think it's going to put him in the, the proper spot that I want, wanted the devil all the time to do, but Robert Pattinson just stole that shit. So, yeah, <laughs> he really did. so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that, man. I, I do think it's one that I would like to cover, uh, we have access to that. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what's up when it comes out in uh, late February. Yes, indeed we will. And the last trailer I want to talk about uh, kind of came out of nowhere and is now something I'm very much looking forward to a film called Willie's Wonderland uh, set for a February 12th release <laughs> uh, in theaters and on demand. Uh, it's Nicholas Cage versus Chuck E. Cheese basically. And um, I could not be more excited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, well, you know, uh, for, for listeners that, you know, have known us on film guys and whatnot, we've always kind of joked about how we haven't actually covered any films that like, like properly, you know, covered any films. We did a Cohen episode. Of course we talked about him, but we haven't properly done a Nicholas Cage film, you know, and this show provides a good little opportunity. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I'm, this is one I, I watched too, you know, the trailer thing I think is actually a, a really cool conversation because I, I don't know where the line is personally for me. I just, when, when I know, I know. And deep down when I see the idea for a film, see kind of who's in it, who's involved. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't, I don't really want to know anything that's going to happen. I want to go on blind. Yeah. I'll just go with my prior knowledge, but then, but then I don't know where the line is because I, you know, I watched the, the, these trailers here. Uh, it was really just the first film we talked about, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. That's the only trailer I haven't watched of these films we're talking about. And it, I'm not sure where the line is, Connor, but I, <laughs> but I've, but I've drawn it somewhere. And I don't know. I've, I think also being where I am now, where I, I watch so many old movies and just go into it not knowing shit, and I love that. It's been very rewarding at times. So I think part of me wants to try that sometimes with the newer movies. Uh, it's not a very easy because the trailer's everywhere. <laughs> it's all over social media and all that stuff. But um, I, I do like occasionally to just go into something completely blind if I can. That makes sense. You know, you see a cast list, you see stills and you already think like this movie's going to rock. I love this. I don't need to be sold this. They already sold me. I get that. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You know, like, you didn't need to see the trailer for Endgame. Like I'm in you, I, all the previous work show, you know, it shows, <laughs> you know, the work is there. So uh, yeah, I feel similarly about when, yeah, when some movies come out, like I remember the parasite trailer when that dropped, I was like, I, I don't know. I've heard there was like a storm around that movie. And I was like, I think I'm just going to go into this. And it was rewarding. <laughs> well, that was in unique because the trailer really didn't tell you anything. Nah, nah. Kind of like that Hereditary trailer, right? Like, that yeah. one was weird. We were working at the theater then, no. So it was very hard to miss trailers <laughs> when working at the theater. Yeah. Totally. Uh, that's it for trailers. So let's talk some news. Yes, sir. So this was interesting. Uh, I remember the, there was a big fight between uh, Warner Brothers and Lionsgate for this to happen, and it finally has. The upcoming Godzilla versus Kong has been confirmed to be getting an HBO Max release and has been moved up to a March 26th release date. So this is really cool. Um, as much as I wanted to see this film on the big screen, I, I'm i not going to. 
now that I can watch it on HBO Max. And I know this is going to be ridiculous. It's Godzilla versus Kong. You don't, I mean, what more do you need to know? I don't give a shit who's in this. <laughs> this is yeah, right. Yeah. Here, here's one where, yeah, no, I'm good. Doesn't matter. I'm, I'm so in, you know, yeah. I love watching monsters attack. <laughs> and if there's two monsters attacking each other, yes, sign me up. <laughs> I just, the main thing I am really looking forward to in this movie is finding out just how exactly it, it it's not a five minute long movie because how does Godzilla not just light Kong's flammable ass up with his nuclear fire? Cause last I checked gorillas are flammable. So I'm wondering how they get around that. <laughs> uh, we'll see, man. We got to check out the film <laughs> to know yeah, that's going to be great. <laughs> Um, the first of what I'm sure is many uh, delays have been announced. Morbius has been delayed to October 8th, and The Many Saints of Newark has been delayed to September 24th. Morbius, I'm not that confident in. I don't really trust Sony to handle Marvel property. Uh, Venom, I think, was a fluke. Uh, I'm not that big a Jared Leto fan either. I just, I'll see Morbius, but I'm not, you know, I'm not freaking out about it. Yeah, I, it's not really on my radar necessarily. I'm a, Jared Leto, you know, it's fine. It's got some major misses, obviously. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, I, it's not something that I'm going to be chomping at the bit to get. Yeah, same. The Many Saints of Newark, however, ah. I, uh, I've been looking forward to that. They, they announced that like five years ago, and they've just been trying to make that happen. And I really hope it does happen. I mean, if anything, it's got to, get an HBO Max release. I mean, the fucking Sopranos movie. <laughs> so when when was the first time you watched The Sopranos? Because I know you've seen it more than once, right? I've I've seen, all right, so I, I saw The Sopranos. The first watch I did was like right when I moved to Texas. So it had to have been like 2011, 2012. Okay, so um, you're like 16, 17, yeah. And then I rewatched the first two and a half seasons when I was uh, working at my old job. And then once I got back into, you know, school and the podcast and everything, I kind of just put that aside and I'm really only checking out new stuff. I'm not rewatching a lot of stuff these days. Yeah. But it's such a great show. I remember it. I remember most of it very well. Um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing, you know, Tony's dad's story and how this all kind of unfolded, how this family became the Kings of Jersey. I'm excited for that. (sighs) Yeah, man. I, that show really has an argument for for the stuff i've seen seen not, a, not i've seen not, not a ton of tv shows but i've seen seen a decent amount and it really might be the best one i've ever seen and so anything to go back in that world is is fine by me and i've i've seen it, i've seen it just twice till i threw and of course i've rewatched episodes here and there but uh it was in the first time for me was in uh i watched the wire and the sopranos in the same year for the first time uh 2015 I was on a like TV grind, you know, I had, you know, signed up for HBO go. So I had it, you know, every day I got off work and I would just start churning out these shows and, you know, Sopranos and the wire and six feet under were like the first three that I did. And it's James, first off, James Gandolfini, you know, the guy is just like, Whoa, lights out. Mm. Best, probably best TV character I've, I've, I've seen, you know, I just, yeah. He's unbelievable. His, 
his screen time and then the, the entertainment value and then just his, you know, rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall. It's, it's really like as intriguing as like the Godfather really is. It's crazy. The storytelling in that. I love that show so much and it damn, damn right. It's going to be on HBO max, you know? So that's, that's its home. That's where, that's where so many people have gone back and been able to watch it. You know, people who weren't able to watch it when it was on like us, you know, in the early 2000s, we weren't able to catch up with it. So I, I really want that to come out and I want to do an episode on it, man. Cause I would love to have an in-depth conversation about that world. And, um, you know, go, yeah, go up to the Northeast for a bit. That'd be fun. For sure. I mean, The Sopranos is credited with turning TV into a whole new landscape and giving TV an opportunity to be a place where these stories, larger than life stories, could be told. You know, it turned yeah. HBO into a into a valid network. And I think without The Sopranos, we never would have had, you know, Breaking Bad. We never would have had all these amazing shows that exist in a world post-Sopranos. So I'm, yeah, I'm grateful to that show just for that, but it was damn good television <laughs> yeah no no doubt and and i know you know won't spoil anything but like of course everybody knows about how like the, there's a controversial ending i love it <laughs> i love it of course I, I love things like that that are that just stir up a huge debate ah how else are you gonna do it <laughs> oh yeah yeah i'm looking forward to, to getting to you know revisit that world again i'll do kind of like a i won't do a full rewatch but i will you know do some significant episode like a top 10 list or something like that and get to yeah you know a little bit more refresh that'll be fun hell yeah man next up um actress jessica campbell has died at 38 years old from an undisclosed reason um she was known mainly for playing the character of tammy Meltzer in the 1999 dark comedy election and she didn't really do much else and she just kind of dropped dead they haven't really announced why yet but this was odd i bet it's covid related yeah probably that's a shame rest in peace jessica campbell next up uh, a little bit of marvel news kevin feige has confirmed that deadpool 3 is going to be an mcu film and it will be rated r so they're not messing with with deadpool good yeah and i'm sure disney was like you know we don't want to rock the kevin feige boat cuz that's that guy's given us like 30 40 billion dollars in these films let's not piss him off he gets to do whatever he wants i guarantee you that's how that yeah. conversation went down <laughs> yeah those those guys have some uh, some leeway have some say yeah <laughs> thank god like you said when they bring that kind of profit yeah well feige has been such a great guy to helm this whole thing because he cares about the characters and he he values like making something good. He focuses as much on the current film as he does on the film 10 years down the line. He's, he's a great producer and a great like architect of this whole thing. And I, I'm just so glad that he's bringing Deadpool into this whole thing. (laughs) Hell yeah, man. It's, 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 it's uh, just what's right for the fans. That's it. Damn straight. Damn straight. Speaking of MCU, Chris Evans might be in talks to be returning as Captain America for one last ride. Uh, This might be debunked soon. Uh, Chris Evans came out on Twitter and said that this is news to him. But then again, these guys have to lie about this shit all the time. So who knows if this is true or not, but it was announced. I have mixed feelings. I thought Captain America's story ended really well. But at the same time, I would love to see, you know, the story of, 
him returning the stones or, you know, some little cameo and like, I don't know. I, I trust that they're going to do things right. Yeah, I agree. I think right now it's in good hands. Things are in good hands and we're seeing that kind of across the board from, from Marvel. Yes, indeed. Next up, random weird news. So Darren Aronofsky is developing his next film, an adaptation of the 2012 stage play, The Whale, with Brendan Fraser attached to star as a severely obese teacher trying to reconnect with his estranged daughter. Whew. Uh, okay, sure. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, you're telling me, you're telling me the guy who, you know, Requiem for a Dream and Mother, the guy who's had that around Black Swan, and he's doing this with Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I don't need, I don't, this is the kind of thing, I don't need a trailer. I don't give a shit. I'm in. I'm, sign me up. I, I read a little thing that it's supposed to be like 600 pounds. Yeah. So severely. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, you know, how, how this is all going to happen. So I, yeah, holy shit. Definitely a film. And that's going to be in the back of my mind until I see it. Yeah, definitely. I've, I'm not that experienced with Aronofsky. I've seen, I really liked Requiem for a Dream. Uh, I was not a fan of Mother and I really didn't like Noah. So that's what I've seen so yeah. far. Yeah. No, 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 is what, whatever. I love Mother. I think it's awesome. It's like by far my favorite Jennifer Lawrence uh, performance. There's, there's not a whole lot there for me in her career, but I, I do love what she's doing there. And that movie's just fucking bonkers. So, uh, you also got Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Ed Harris doing just crazy shit. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that movie's wild. He's definitely an acquired taste, right? And, uh, I, I do, I do really like Black Swan. Uh, Natalie Portman's pretty wonderful in that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, he is the kind of guy that I'm not like in love with his whole filmography or anything. But he's so, so damn committed to his, you know, individuality and his style and just kind of being his own filmmaker that I'll kind of watch whatever, you know. Uh, I, I put him for me personally. I put him in the same boat as like. I, they're they're not anywhere near the same style filmmaker, but the way I see them is like uh, like Christopher Nolan. It's like Christopher Nolan's really trying to do something here. You know, you know, it's it's distinct. It's his style, so I'm down to see it. And that's kind of how I feel about Aronofsky. And there's just certain directors that even if I don't love everything, I know it's going to be a crafted movie and it's going to be have some style, you know, and they're going to bring their flavor to it. And I like that. You know, we, you know, I, I like creators that bring their pizzazz, you know, I think that's really cool. I think more than anything, I'm excited to see Brendan Fraser possibly mount a comeback. That's the whole other thing, right? To rejuvenate a career like that would be huge, you know, and how awesome is it that, you know, I know, I know uh, on our uh, film guys and mummy episode, you know, of course, Mr. Fraser came up a lot. And you guys kind of, <laughs> you guys were kind of talking like you, you and Josh and your, your prayers were answered. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. The timing of that was weird. You know, yeah. Like literally, you know, the, the, the episode releases and we were kind of texting and, and the Josh threw it in the group text with all of us and was like, Connor, holy shit. <laughs> and it's Darren Aronofsky, like a, a crazy filmmaker who's going to do some wild stuff. And like, that's, that's cool. Like what a, what a wild pairing. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm, I'm 
I won't say I'm excited, but I will. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I that's a, yeah. That's probably that's probably exactly how I feel. I'm like, I'm I'm. It's in the back of my mind, and I'm definitely going to sit down and watch it right when it comes out. But I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not expecting to fall in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, I'm probably going to be pretty disgusted. <laughs> probably going to be like, what is happening here? Yeah. Speaking of great pairings of actors and directors, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are in talks to play Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz in a biopic directed by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> yeah. That is, that's a great sentence. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm looking for You don't need to, to say anything else. Yeah. That's so great. I mean, Nicole Kidman and Javier <laughs> as Lucy and De- Lucille and Desi. Oh my God. Lucy and Desi. This is great. <laughs> and Sorkin. Aaron, God damn. Perfect. Where do you think, where do you think those two will sort of rank in the, um, you know, Sorkin speech? Cause you know, you know, you got Tom Cruise, who's just a fucking killer at it. Jesse Eisenberg is a killer at it. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen destroyed it. Um, Jack Nicholson, of course. I mean, do you think you think these two can get in that get in that top tier? Well, Javier, while on top of being smokier than London Fog, that guy is an incredible actor and an incredible <laughs> presence. And I have no doubt in my mind he's going to pull this off. Yeah. And Nicole Kidman, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan, but she's proved her talents with many different directors, and I'm I, I think she can do it. I mean, the original, she's replacing Kate Blanchett, who ideally would have been my first choice for Lucy. I understand. And I don't know if I have a preference between those two, but I, I really do love Nicole Kidman. I think, I think she's like leveled up in some sense uh, in recent years. I think she's ready to take on kind of some stranger stuff again and i i love that i love that man i love that she you know clearly in the you know 90s early 2000s i I think she was going after some really cool stuff and really chasing it and i i love to see her do it again so that's such a cool pair and i see both of them kind of getting the cadence down with ease they, they, I think they both have that. I think Nicole Kidman can just kind of be sitting on a couch and speak, you know, extremely fast, you know, hundred miles per hour. And it, it, I think it'll work. <laughs> yeah. I think this is going to be a, a big, like a big, uh, I think it's going to make some waves. You know, it's a story that uh, yeah. they've been yeah. trying to do for quite a long time. You know, Lucy's story. And they're, you know, Lucy and Desi were pioneers of American television. They changed the game. So I'm, yeah, I think it's going to be very cool. It's a cool story for Sorkin to, to tackle. So yeah, bring it on. Well, yeah, Sorkin, this is, this is when he's at his best for me is something like social network or, uh, God, his, his, uh, script for his screenplay for, um, jobs, Steve jobs. is like, good lord is pretty remarkable you know and that's because he's 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 masterful at doing things that are interesting on some sort of surface level and then he gives us a behind the scenes kind of look and he's so damn good at that you know i mean the west wing you know the tv show he it's constantly that it's constantly like these these figures that we have ideas about 
and they're, you know, just, you know, talking by the water, you know, you know, getting a little glass of water and they're talking and get a little coffee and they're just talking and he's so good at doing the, the background stuff. Sorkin's so good at that. So for <clears throat> not only to bring, you know, these, like you said, these people to light, make a movie with them is, I can't wait to see the background stuff that he does with actors like Javier and Nicole. That's going to be so damn exciting. Yes. Yes, it is. Can't wait. Um, Ben Affleck is directing an adaptation of the young adult novel Keeper of the Lost Cities for Disney. Uh, Interesting waters for Ben Affleck to dip his directing toes in. Uh, He's going young adult. What do you think of that? Uh, You know, it's an interesting move, right? I think you're you're not too fond of it. Looked like young adult. I'm not, you know, I just... If it's this, if it's this dystopian shit, or if it's Disney trying to, you know, ruin another famous book series, I just, yeah. After Kenneth Branagh's Artemis Fowl, I'm done with Disney and young adult book adaptations. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel that. You you kind of have to be proven proven wrong at this point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I love Affleck as a director, but I don't see him getting a lot of control over this. Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't see that he's going to actually be directing. It's more of a, uh, it's more of a job. Yeah. Yep. Uh, damn shame <laughs> Emma Thompson has been cast as Miss Trunchbull in the upcoming Matilda remake <laughs> interesting for that um, apparently the role was traditionally played by a man on stage it was Ray Fiennes who was attached to this for the longest time he dropped out and Emma Thompson has replaced him uh, I don't think anyone can replace Pam Ferris as the Trunchbull but Emma Thompson is somebody I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm excited to see how this works out. Yeah. And I'm actually going to use that whenever that decides to come out to kind of do some homework of my own on her career, because I, I don't know enough about it. Right. You know, I, I know there's some really cool stuff going on just like the past 25 years. So since sense and sensibility, you know, I, I, I have some work to do. I have to go back and watch more of her stuff. I, Cause I don't have a, a true opinion on her other than what I've read and uh, some of the bigger stuff she's been in. And of course, Harry Potter, yeah. <laughs> you know, you kind of get connected to, to the actors that are in that stuff. But um, I, I have, I have legwork to do. As do I, you know, I haven't really tackled a lot of her 90s stuff. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really love her as professor Trelawney and Harry Potter, but she was hilarious and love actually, but overall, yeah, there's a lot of gaps and uh, yeah, I love getting to fill those gaps. Yeah. And I think, when a new film comes out, I, I personally love to just kind of dive into a couple of other past roles that they've done and, you know, to get some perspective. It's fun. Yes, indeed. Uh, this is maybe the coolest news I have. <laughs> um, Apple TV, yeah, this is crazy. Apple TV plus has acquired Ridley Scott's upcoming biopic of Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix. The current title is kit bag. So Joaquin is playing Napoleon for Ridley Scott. <laughs> Ooh, what do you think sign, sign, sign me up you know <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't see two ways about this one I mean two legends two titans we've talked about some, some awesome people here but is there anybody who's more you know at the peak of their powers than Joaquin Phoenix in the acting game you know uh, that guy's got that guy's got all the control in the world as far as uh you know, performers that are going to engage p- 
people to watch and, you know, the Academy and all these different things, you know, Joaquin's the guy right now. So to pair him with a director like that, I'm in. <laughs> we've already seen what I'm so in. We've already seen what those two can do together with Gladiator. So yeah, it's been it's been 20 years, man. I'm ready. <laughs> time for Joaquin to play another emperor for Ridley Scott. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, and that's that's a role that, you know, feels feels a lot like less is more with that character right in Gladiator, where the moments we get him, he's just this creepy, slimy bastard and we're just always rooting for Russell Crowe in that movie. Um, I'm excited to see him be the main guy with, with Ridley. You know, that's cool. Yeah. Kind of leveling up 20 years later. I'm really excited to see what kind of take Ridley Scott does on Napoleon because he's a very divisive historical figure. Some people think he's, you know, the greatest ruler France has ever had. Some people equate him with Hitler in the way he tried, tried to take over Europe. So it really is, you know, depends on the historian what do you think of Napoleon? So I'm, I'm excited to see the direction this movie takes. Yeah, he really, Napoleon is one of the, you know, key figures out of Europe that, you know, here in America, we, we just kind of hear about, but we don't actually, like you said, learn about the divisiveness of his, of his, his philosophy as a person. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I've heard people who say they're, that he's their favorite, you know, person ever realm you know, as far as being a leader and a general and then, yeah, people, other people want to, you know, slap him in the face. It's kind of like Patton. It's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting for sure. And weirdly, you know, fresh off the heels of another podcast episode I did with Julie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where we talked a little bit about Napoleon. So it's of weird course, how all the, of course. A lot of the news is kind of connecting with what we've been up to on the show lately. <laughs> Neat. So that is all for last week in film. Uh, tune in next week to find out what happens next week. Before we get into One Night in Miami, I wanted to talk a little bit about the other film that came out this past week, The Marksman. Yes. Uh, the latest Liam Neeson action thriller came out January 15th in theaters. Does not yet have an IMDb score. It's settled, like it's currently sitting at a wide release for uh, January 21st, which is weird considering it moved up a week but nobody like nobody got the message i don't know and uh it currently has a rotten tomato score of 37 percent <laughs> the audience score though is 87 percent uh i think but honestly i think people were just happy to see something <laughs> uh the marksman well if you've seen any liam neeson movie from the past 20 years you've seen the marksman it's He's just got this formula that he has not left since taken <laughs> and it's working for him. You know, it's getting him paid, but it is making a lot of films that are pretty much just clones. Uh, and this is just, you know, it's, I call him taken plus it's taken plus it's in Arizona. <laughs> it's taken plus he's driving a snowplow. It's yeah. It's just, you know, you take taken, you add some new shit. <clears throat> it's, it's a new movie. <laughs> Yeah, so, so you, you obviously saw this. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, and, and where are at? I saw this at Santikos Embassy. Uh, it was me and a couple other people and an older couple who, uh, where the wife was just like viciously berating her husband. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I was like, you're such an idiot. Why are you like this? God, you're just a child. And he's just sitting there like, well, I guess. Like, you can tell this. it's been that for 40 years and he just has no oh. will to fight anymore. He's <laughs> that just stuck out to it. me. <laughs> Wow. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I, I obviously didn't see it, but I have I have a few questions. Uh, first off, Robert Benz, uh, sorry, Robert Robert Benz, Jesus, Robert Lawrence is the director. Uh, this is a guy who's produced movies with Clint Eastwood, and yes. so you already talked you talked about how this has like a you know very Liam Neeson feel. Does it also have any sort of you know Clint Eastwood feel because they shared a lot of like Oscar nominations for Mystic River and I think Letters from Iwo Jima and I know American Sniper he produced. So did it have any of that kind of feel or was it just straight straight kind of like like low B grade action? It felt like the guy was trying to replicate Eastwood, but he wasn't quite there for like Eastwood light almost. There was a little, a little bit of that. Um, I feel like it didn't go as far as Eastwood would have gone. I feel like if Eastwood had been here, this would have been something to talk about. Uh, typically when you put producers in the director's chair, just, ugh, <laughs> it does not work out. But I think Liam Neeson held this one together. Um, the story's pretty generic. Actually, the trailer spoils the whole damn movie. Uh, yeah, I hate when they do that, too. Uh, I'm supposed to believe that Liam Neeson is a ex-Marine born and bred in Arizona. <laughs> um, no. But um, just the way he says, like, you know, adios. Like, he can't... It's, it's completely nonsensical. Uh, and he goes up against like four cartel guys. Like there's no like big rush in the cartel. It's like one dude and it's taken care of pretty damn fast. Honestly, it was actually very anticlimactic, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, have you seen uh, trouble with the curve from 2012? I have not. He directed that and Clint, you know, Clint Eastwood stars and he's the, he's the main character. So, yeah, I've seen that movie and it's I think it's kind of shite. It's not really for me. Um, just just kinda, it was just kind of boring. There was no, just no style, nothing there, you know, yeah, exactly. And and I don't I'm not really I really need need a whole lot of that. Uh, I'm, I'm down to try them out because you never know, you know, uh, if you do get kind of like a, a Clint Eastwood feel because occasionally I, I occasionally I'm down for a movie like that. But well, I, with with yeah. with Mr. Lorenz here, he's he's only directed these two movies. Been the the you know the main director. He's been assistant director on some other stuff. But I, I I don't see any distinct style from him in either of these films. Uh, you know, I from what I hear from you about the Marksman, and then I've seen Trouble with the Curve. It's kind of disappointing. Yeah, he's one of those guys that they just put behind the camera because they needed a name. There's no you know like you said, there's no style here. It's a Liam Neeson movie above all else. And uh, it really does just fit a formula. There's, I mean, you know, at the heart of it, you've got the, you know, this, this guy bonding with this young boy, but even that's kind of just dispatched with near the end pretty quickly. It's, there's no, you never feel like the stakes are all that high. Like it'd be very easy to get out of this. And I don't know. I feel like they have, you know, they ignored a lot of potential, directions this could have gone in that would have been really like unique and stand out uh, would have stood out but yeah I'd, I'd say even went like among Neeson's other uh you know action thrillers where he's a cop or a soldier who's estranged from his wife and then ends up in some criminal <laughs> trouble with like bad guys cartel guys or some shit even among that group this is probably one of the weaker ones yeah yeah that's yeah you know, sometimes shit happens. You you got to you got to see it to know. So, 
Yeah, and I wanted. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got to you know see Liam see old Liam Neeson in a cowboy hat on the big screen. So that's fun. Uh, at least, at least you got that. <laughs> yeah, at least I got that. I've so of these bunch, like I've seen. Um, I've seen the first Taken. I've seen Run All Night, which is the exact same plot as Road to Perdition. Even it even ends in a fucking cabin in the woods at a lake house. It's the same movie. Um, a Walk Among the Tombstones, which was interesting. It was about like a serial killer. Uh, Hot Nonstop, which was he's a marshal on a plane and there's a terrorist on the plane. And uh, I don't count the gray in that bunch because that was actually something different. But uh, that one's much that one's much different in tone yeah. than the than these other ones. Exactly. So I think those are the ones I've seen. I didn't see Cold Pursuit because I'm like, really? He's he's in a snowplow and he's taking revenge on like the cartel. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what the man's been doing. I I uh, you know I love him in Silence, like in Martin Scorsese's Silent. I thought he was fantastic in that, but it's. There's just a couple in this past decade that stand out. I'd say that one in the gray. Of course, you know, you look back further and he's got some really, really cool stuff, but I, I just don't past 10 years. I just don't, it's not, it's not, not that rewarding. You know, he's a great actor. He just, you know, needs the money. I don't know what kind of lifestyle he's financing, but he really needs, he needs money apparently above all else. And, you know, it's, you know, he, yeah. I, um, I think he's had his issues with, Maybe some people not wanting to cast him here and there. I think he's ruffled some feathers here and there. Uh, he was in Widows. That was a pretty cool performance with Steve McQueen. It's not a not a huge performance, but but he's you know he's an important character. Uh, yeah, I think I, I don't know. I think some people are hesitant on casting him these days in his career where he's at now. Uh, I don't know. It's, it, he is he is pretty pretty damn talented. The guy. Uh, and he's he's an icon of some eras. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. It's gonna be interesting to see what he, the the you know latter part of his career is. I mean, I understand. You know, some people are apprehensive after you know the remarks he said like years ago about yeah wanting to just attack any any black person he saw because he got his friend got attacked by a black person. That's fucked up. But I honestly don't believe he you know, has any hatred in his heart. I think he was just, you know, ruffled badly. He was angry. He wasn't thinking. I don't think he's a bad person. And I think that we need to let people have a chance to explain themselves and, you know, redeem themselves. We talked about that last week with, you know, pieces of a woman. I think people deserve, you know, the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And to have his whole career be, you know, kind of, closed off and him kind of forced to take these roles just because you know he said that shit i don't think that's fair that's what i think yeah yeah no i i totally i totally hear you and i it, we don't totally know is the main point right we don't know and we're never gonna really know so you can what you can do is just try to enjoy the art you know and What's good about Liam is he has a really, really cool, you know, past filmography. So true. The guy, the guy has been able to put in a lot of work and if you like him, you know, there's always things to watch. I just, whatever is, is true and isn't true. We don't, we don't quite know. And yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope you're right, man. I hope, 
I hope he's genuinely got a good heart and is a is a kind soul. He seems like it. Um, he, yeah, he, he, yeah, he does. He does. He was on a talk show recently where he he point like he pulled out some um, a prop. He still he had still had Qui Gon Jinn's lightsaber from the Phantom Menace, and um, he said that he really wants to be on the Obi Wan Kenobi show that Disney's doing. So there might be a chance Liam Neeson might get to you know pop up as Qui Gon Jinn's ghost, which would be just fantastic. So I'm holding out hope for that. That'd be huge for him. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, the Marksman. I give it a seven. Um, I liked his performance. I like these the bit with him and the boy, but everything else is pretty by the numbers and predictable. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably, I'll probably watch it at some point whenever it hits a streaming service. You know, I, I tend to just throw movies like this on late at night. Yeah. If I can't sleep or, you know, and you just throw on a nice hour and a half to two hour action movie. And that's what that is. So pretty much. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah, it's crazy how similar these movies are. I swear to God, they're just, you know, changing the characters and the setting on the script, but keeping everything else exactly the same. Yeah. So that's uh, that's enough on the Marksman. I was never going to fill out one of these episodes anyway, let's be honest. And um, we need something with some meat to talk about on this show. And then we've got something good. Uh, one Night in Miami. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, very cool. It's based on the 2013 stage play by Kemp Powers, who also wrote the screenplay. It was a 90-minute kind of one-act play and uh, depicts a fictional account of a real night, February 25th, 1964, where civil rights leaders Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown all met at the same motel to talk about their roles in the ongoing civil rights movement and what their lives are doing to kind of influence that. Powers also co-wrote Pixar's Soul, which came out last month on Disney+. Plus. He's already got two incredible films under his belt. Cannot wait to see what he does next. Uh, the guy's a hell of a Oh, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. This guy's got, got talent oozing out of him clearly and has, has figured out a way to put himself, insert himself right into the, into the movie world. Uh, and and I'm, I'm very grateful. And, ah, Mr. Gina King. Ha! <laughs> You know, it's cool to see, cool to see her level up yet again. <laughs> yeah. She she does not she does not stop she doesn't stop for anybody she keeps moving, keeps moving and uh, I'm eternally grateful for her career and her her contribution to movies and TV and just like my life I I love Regina King so much and to see that this film was was good you know. I think there's some interesting things to talk about, but she has an eye <laughs> like Regina King, Regina King has an eye and it makes sense with all this work she's done that she's, she's ready to, to go into this role to be the, the director. I think she's got, I think she's got a serious talent and I can't wait to see what she does next already. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about this film today. Her, her directorial debut. So cool. Yeah, This is the directorial debut of Oscar winning character actress, Regina King who we talked about at length in our 28th episode of Oscar Sunday, which was focused on 2018's If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, so tell us a bit about, you know, Regina King and why, you know, her acting career and why you love her so much. Yeah, we got to talk a lot about her and uh, on that episode, you know, I kind of just handpicked that film, even though we already did uh, 2018's Black Panther previously, 
we're trying to cover all different kinds of ceremonies and years on Oscar Sunday. And I just said, fuck it and loop back around because we kind of changed the, you know, sort of changed, you know, the, the, the format of Oscar Sunday um, at one point. And we're, we're kind of carrying with that now where uh, we pick a film and we're trying to pick something within that film. That's really interesting for both of us. That's like kind of a focal point. And we were going to pick, you know, a female, a female performer that's, you know, won an Oscar at some point. And we want to center an episode around, you know, a movie that that person's been in, that person won the award for. We t- we've texted back and forth a shit ton. And I was like, I'm choosing some, I'm choosing, we're going to choose a, a, a black woman here. That's what we're going to do. And we talked about it for a long time. And I just went with my gut because Regina King's performance and if Beale Street could talk as Sharon Rivers is my favorite of all of those, you know, I like very connected to that, that movie, that, that book by James Baldwin. And so when Regina King was in that and just kind of just crushed it, like knocked it out of the park, everyone knocks it out of the park in that movie. And she's, she's just so goddamn professional. And then, you know, I go back to, my you know earlier years of you know watching movies and like middle school high school and I was really into you know still am (laughs) really into you know boys in the hood uh, poetic justice higher learning Friday Regina King's and all of those and so she just kind of in my life in that way because I love watching those movies and you know middle school and high school and I still love watching them and she stands out in all of them, whether it's a, you know, bigger role or supporting role. She's just, she, when she's there, she's there and she's fucking hilarious. And she carries herself in a way that I, I can't look away from. I love her so much. She's definitely one of my favorite actresses of all time. And I, I really was like, you know, I was like put into tears a few moments because I was like, holy shit. She's like crafted a few really cool scenes here. <laughs> and I thought there were a few things that I was like, all right, you know, I, I, I see where she can like get better as a director, but for the most part, I was, I was just like really proud as a fan of hers, just really proud of, of what she's able to do and tell the story of these four gentlemen that are so, so, so important to American history. Um, and uh, a very performance driven movie. Yeah. Of course, of course, from Regina. Um <laughs> uh, that makes sense that someone who's just a powerhouse performer like her, you know, is directing this movie with all four guys, just kind of, just kind of knock it out of the park for me personally. So yeah, man, I could talk about Regina all day and there's a reason we did that episode. And, you know, I I love if Beale Street could talk, but I, I really, really love Regina King. And uh, yeah, I think, I think she's going to have a future in this. Of course she's going to keep acting, you know, She's going to keep doing, you know, producing, doing this and that, working in TV and Watchmen on HBO. And she's everywhere. And I, I can't wait to see what she does next. Yeah, this film really showed her versatility. I was very impressed with the with her directing eye on this movie. I think it's even more fascinating that this is a movie really based on a story that may not have even happened. It's entirely yeah, no. speculation on, mm-hmm. yes, these four men were at this motel in February of 64, but there's, we don't know what they talked about. And the, the, like this idea 
is really smart. And I'd love to see more films like this of like what might've happened in history. I think that's a great kind of like biopic subplot or a biopic subgenre they could do. And I'd like to see more in this vein because I was very impressed with this film. Yeah, it's kind of like fictional, nonfiction, just kind of taking something that is very authentic and very real and allowing yourself to have a, a realistic imagination. Yeah, with, yeah, exactly. With some, pe- with, with, you know, you can't do this with everybody. Uh, and not everybody can't do this. Kent Powers and Regina King these are two people who you totally trust to tell, tell this kind of a story. And with these four gentlemen, we know what they sound like. We know what they look like. We know what their philosophy is. We know what their ideologies are. So I think it's okay to play with those in a conversation that might've happened or could have happened or, or whatever it may be. They could have just drank beer all night could have not said shit. They could have just talked about, they could have talked about whatever. They could have watched a movie. Who knows? But you, I think you're allowed to in certain regards. You know, I don't think you and I should write <laughs> this movie, but I think, I think there are some people who are in, are in a spot, are in a place in their life, have the experience, have the historical knowledge, the writing ability, the respect for film that Regina King and Kent Powers have to pull something like this off. Because this could, in the wrong hands, this could be a fucking disaster. Yeah. This could be a fucking disaster. And I, 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 I truly believe that. I think there's some very powerful things said in this movie that even you and I don't really have a say on. You know, we don't really have a, you know, foundational opinion on some of this stuff because it's just not, it's not our, not our conversation, quite frankly. We can, we're obviously allowed to watch it here and speculate but I, I i really think this movie is so specially crafted you know it had to be these kinds of ideas and these people behind these ideas to push it forward and for it to make sense and for it to be the product it is uh we know we know what malcolm x sounded like and all that like i said and she regina and kemp were like hey let's go with this let's go with this is probably what he would be saying if this happened and go off of that and go off of that and kind of play off it. And then they're up on the roof and then they're down back. And, you know, it, it was kind of beautiful how it just kind of organically happened. And I wasn't for one second, I wasn't like, Oh, did this really happen? You know, I was just kind of allowing, the, allowing these guys to just kind of sink into me yeah. and, and it just kind of enlightened me to be honest with you. So I was, I was very grateful for the experience and, I'm, I'm very curious to hear what you think about it uh, as far as those ideas go, you know, with, you know, you, you, obviously you've heard plenty of what Malcolm X stands for. And Muhammad Ali is a, a guy you can't escape, you know, and Sam Cooke has one of the best voices probably, you know, ever. And Jim Brown was the best football player to, to live at the time when he retired. So, you know, you know what these guys kind of are. So you just, do, do you, do you, do you think that's the good idea? to just kind of let's take these guys ideologies and make a conversation out of it. Well, like you said, it does depend on who's telling the story. It depends on somebody who actually cares about the outcome, cares about the people like this very could easily could have been Malcolm X vampire hunter, but it's not, it's a story that I believe could have happened. And 
it is all about, you know, uh, you have to, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? Um, well, it, it does matter who's telling the story. And I, I love that Kent Powers cared enough to make a play out of this idea. And, uh, you know, me being a student of history, I am, you know, curious. And I, I like learning about these things. I like learning about new things about American history, particularly because I think we have a very fascinating, rich, versatile history that's built on a lot of suffering. And um, I like how this film doesn't shy from that. It, you know, they, these are people, these are four larger than life historical figures from the 20th century. And all of them are incredibly vulnerable in this movie. We get to see sides of these people that like historically we did not get to see. We get to see Malcolm X kind of fall apart in this movie. It really is remarkable, but also maintain a strength that he always had. We get to see Muhammad Ali be afraid of changing his life, of being a, of being a Muslim, you know, have second thoughts about that. We get to see Sam Cooke, you know, reconsider his position in the music industry. And then Jim Brown kind of just, you know, be uncertain about his future. I love seeing historical figures be human. And this is so, this, this film is so good at doing that. So good at making these people look like people instead of just names in a textbook. And yeah, that was what I love most about this. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I definitely want to, you know, shout it out just right from the very beginning of the film. Uh, I, I personally thought the intros were pretty cool. Whether, whether they were kind of, uh, you know, just kind of forward or not or abrupt, I, I, I thought they were powerful. And I thought the, in particular, um, I'll go ahead and say it. My, my favorite performance is Aldous Hodge in this movie. Oh, okay. And uh, I think that's an uncommon thing to think, but <laughs> I think people should rewatch it maybe or, or something and maybe rewatch the beginning because his scene with Bo Bridges at the beginning of the film is oh. like, is like br brutality and it it shows a an ability and a an awareness to to set the tone right away that sure you know sure we're dealing with these guys or whatever but like this is we're in a time that's that's uh very 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 very, very dangerous yeah uh, and uh, of course him going back down to the South, it just yeah, kind of changes his perspective on things. And I thought that was just a really, really brutal scene. And I was kind of, it was just kind of taken aback by that. And I thought from there on out, I thought Aldous Hodge had this, he captured this, uh, the, the human thing that, that you said about these guys, you know, he had this kind of confusion from there on out, just like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, yeah. What is going, what is going on, you know? And, and he, I thought he was really, really, really good at being the figure in the room that when someone or when someone or two characters were maybe being um, a little frantic, you know, and kind of arguing or up on their feet kind of moving around. Aldous Hodge has this, has this presence. And then of course, Jim Brown has this presence that, just kind of whoom, kind of like hones you in. And I, I felt when I was watching this movie, whenever I felt 
um, maybe a little stressed out. And I was like, oh man, this is getting meaty. I would look at him. I would look at Aldous Hodge and I'd be like, whoa, you know, and it's kind of like, it was bizarre. It was this bizarre connection that I had. And I immediately fell in love with what he was doing. And I think that goes back to the very beginning of the film with that, that scene with Bill Bridges. And I think all four of the kind of introductions we get, how we're kind of leading into this moment, this night where, you know, Cassius Clay is going to be fighting uh, Liston for the title. And I'm not in love with the boxing action, but I thought, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. I thought some of the shots were really cool. Uh, and of course, some of the, some of the actors that pop up there, <laughs> uh, we, t- we talked about the Sopranos and the wire earlier. Those, both those guys uh, in, in uh, Cassius Clay's corner. <laughs> Crazy. Fantastic. Um, as long as we're throwing it out there, my favorite uh, performance was Kingsley Benadir as, as Malcolm X. Uh, he's the, yeah, he's the guy who's going to be up for an Oscar. If anybody, I, I think so for sure. I mean, I love Aldous Hodge. Uh, Jim Brown, especially Jim Brown. I don't know if you guys are aware of this plays one of my all time favorite characters in film history. And that's yes. Byron Williams in Mars attacks. So I've, I've loved Jim Brown my whole fucking life <laughs> because of movies. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, I watched the dirty dozen and I'm like, shit, that's Byron. <laughs> it's just, so it was cool for me to kind of see a little bit about, you know, who Jim Brown was during the civil rights movement and his significance and all that. I didn't know any of that to me. He was just the badass of Mars attacks. So to get to learn about more of, you know, more about him was really cool. I love but, that. Yeah. <laughs> I love Malcolm X in this film. Because, you know, I, I just a few months ago, I had watched for the first time Spike Lee's 1992 Malcolm X with Denzel. Oof. And Yeah. So that was a three hour plus look into Malcolm X's life and his significance to the civil rights movement. In this film, we get to see Malcolm as he's about to leave the Nation of Islam and is really concerned about his family's future and his own future. And... I loved seeing that side of such a larger than life, you know, somewhat militant, powerful figure to get to see him on the edge of losing everything was a little, you know, rattling. And uh, I thought he did an amazing job maintaining that man's incredible strength, but also not being afraid to wear his heart on his sleeve at the same time. So yeah, I, I, I really love that performance. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty special. He, he right away kind of, you know, kind of captures you as he is, uh, is introduced as he's like in a clearly a dangerous moment and rushes home and gets home and his wife is there to greet him. And, you know, he's like, Oh, the girl's up. No, they're in bed. You know, we see Malcolm X at home, you know, we see an established Malcolm X, you know, this, the, the film by Spike Lee, like you said, it spans over this, you know, spans over his life and it's this huge project and just a, a wonderful, wonderful movie. But this, you know, performance here is, is totally special, totally unique. And in it's in its own kind of realm, it's not something that, is copied at all from Denzel's performance. It's not a copy at all. It's just like this guy is here to stay. 
<clears throat> and he's I, I think he's going to be up for best actor. I really do. I, I thought he was the standout for sure and got the best the best stuff. He got the best stuff to say. He's he's the guy who's throwing out just fucking daggers at his friends. Yeah. He's fucking he's fucking lighting up the room. Uh and he's, you know, you know, like he said, he's dedicated to that kind of that discipline, that seriousness and you know, brother Cash, you know. Brother Sam, yeah. Brother Jim, yeah. Brother James, brother Rakim, you know. Brother Kareem, all this different, you know. And he's doing it, and his shirt's tucked in, and his glasses stay on. He only takes them off when he's really, really serious, you know. And he's just he's just locked in. And this guy is this guy is screaming like, "Hey, I, I'm I'm here. I'm here to stay." And I can I can play I can play this guy. But then if you look at pictures of him on a, on his IMDb. Yeah. I feel like this guy could play anybody. <laughs> yeah. And a big uh, thing that surprised me is he's a Brit. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. I think, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, you know, these guys, these guys come on over and they just, they play Americans really well. Idris Elba. <laughs> they, they, you know, I, I, I love when that happens and I love finding out later on afterwards because you're like, Oh, didn't even matter. Cause he, he totally pulled it off. It's just so remarkable how much better Brits are at playing Americans than Americans are at playing British people. It's fucking horrific. They are so bad at it. That's that's for sure. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that. I don't think that's even like a, a sort of, you know, th- a thing be just because we live here. I, I think that's just true. <laughs> I yeah. think, I think over time, I think it's just, it's just been proven to be fact. <laughs> um, so let's talk a bit about these guys' careers. Uh, Kingsley Benadire has also appeared in such films as King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, The Commuter, Noel, Trespass Against Us, and he played Colonel Ben Younger on Peaky Blinders. Uh, he certainly got a promising future ahead of him. Yes. Eli Gorey plays Cassius Clay, the champion boxer who would later change his name to Muhammad Ali. Uh, Gorey played Mad Dog on Riverdale but has also appeared in such films as race and Godzilla. And out of these four guys, he's the one with the like smallest IMDb page. He's the mo- the biggest up and comer here. And uh, yeah, I thought he was great <laughs> as, as Ali, like well done. Oh yeah. It makes sense. He's the youngest. So it makes sense that that actor would be, yeah, the youngest and had the least to show for. And I thought he, I thought he, he could really hang. There are a couple of times where the, the cadence, the, the, what he was doing with the voice just kind of like went away for a minute. Yeah. But, but for the most part, he was, he was pretty zoned in, man. I, and I, I, I bought it. Well, Ali, you know, is such a larger than life character. And he speaks like a, you know, like a Dr. Seuss character. He's always like doing some yeah. time or he's almost like speak singing in everything he says. So I get that it would be difficult to kind of nail that down. And for the most part, I think he yes. does a really admirable job, but I agree. There are a couple of times where it cracks. Yeah, where he just kind of drags. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that's the guy's normal voice. Yeah. <laughs> Aldous Hodge plays football star turned movie star Jim Brown. Hodge is another versatile character actor who has appeared in such films as Die Hard with a Vengeance, Straight Out of Compton, Hidden Figures, Brian Banks, and most recently, The Invisible Man. And uh, yeah, he's a guy to watch out for. He's going to be big stuff. I mean, he's already, you know, got considerable stock, but. He keeps getting more roles like this. I see, you know, awards in his future. I agree. I think 
I think he's a dark horse kind of guy who you look out because like you said, if he gets the right one, the exact right role, I think he's, he's ready. I think he's ready to, he's ready to take some stuff on. I, 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 yeah, really like Aldous Hodge. The Invisible Man is a movie that I feel like that plot line wasn't super necessary, but I like loved him. So it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, I thought he was great. So didn't totally matter. You know, uh, and he was like really good with Elizabeth Moss. And that's, that's a good sign when, you know, this guy clearly can work with people well. So I, I'm excited for him. Yes, indeed. So am I. Leslie Odom Jr. plays Sam Cook, the celebrated singer songwriter whose career was tragically cut short in December, 1964. Just learned about that story. What a sad fucking turn of events that was. Jesus, look yep. up Sam Cooke's untimely death, and it's the saddest shit you'll you'll read in a minute, like ever. Ugh. Uh, Odom Jr. is known mostly for his role as Aaron Burr in the immensely popular musical Hamilton. Um, he's also appeared in such films as Murder on the Orient Express, Red Tails, Harriet, and he is set to appear in the upcoming Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. <laughs> ah, beautiful. And I get away from that movie. <laughs> no, no, I can't get away from HBO and that whole world. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. One Night in Miami currently has an IMDb score of 7.2, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 98%. So Amazon original. So that's where you'll always be able to watch this thing. Um, Sam Cooke is probably the guy of this bunch that I knew the least about. Uh, I knew the song, a Change is Gonna Come, but that's really it. I didn't know anything about Sam Cooke. And I feel like after watching this movie, I know more, but still like not as much as I thought I was going to find out. I, I don't know how much of his story is, you know, fact or fiction. Uh, like, did he really play yeah. the Copa to a sea of white faces and get basically just, you know, demoralized off stage? Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually don't know much about him at all. This That is not really my bag when it comes to... Uh, like listening to old music like that, that, that era, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like much more of a, a, a jazz man myself, you know? So I'm, I'm definitely more like keen on like late fifties, you know, like Charles Mingus, you know, yeah. um, and John Coltrane, blue train, shit like that. Like late that, that shit in the late fifties. So I don't really like, like, like you said, I, I know a few tracks, but I definitely, would like to see a film about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he cl- clearly exudes just like these kind of, these kind of philosophical questions about life with every step he takes and whether he knows it or not. I love characters like that. I love figures like that. I love people like that, that at some point, have to kind of reckon with the path that they've chosen. And they clearly were hitting on that a little bit in this movie. Yeah. But I, I wanted more. I wanted more Sam Cook. I want more of that story. I wanted more when, um, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about like later on in the movie, but when they have that flashback to Boston, I like, I wanted more scenes like that. And I wouldn't even be opposed to, you know, I'm not a big TV guy, but I wouldn't even be opposed to like a Sam Cook Netflix show. You know what I mean? I'd watch the shit out of that, you know, and, or, or on Amazon, Regina King can direct. And I think 
you're not alone that I think, I think most people know a lot about Malcolm X. Most people know a lot about Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. A lot of people know that Jim Brown was like at one point, the best football player, but Sam cook, a lot of people just know a couple songs or three or four or five or six or whatever it is. I, I don't feel like I hear these conversations about him and that that goes hand in hand with the movie with the plot with how his character kind of gets isolated with you know at, at points and i found that to be so fascinating right because it's it is the guy that you and i are kind of wondering about and he's the one who's being questioned it's like oh that makes so much sense because malcolm x is wondering about him too i yeah i, I want more i want more sam cook content that's definitely something i came out of this like I remember the next day when I woke up, I was kind of showering and I was kind of singing one of his songs, you know, just kind of like from the film. And I was like, just fucking make a Sam Cooke movie, make a sequel. <laughs> Let's go. I didn't realize how significant he was to yeah. the civil rights movement. I, Sam Cooke was just, you know, a name I knew. I didn't know anything about the guy. But, you know, now that I've seen this movie, I did, you know, I looked into it. I found out about how he was murdered and... God, Jim Brown's the only one of these four still alive. Yeah. And it's just so sad. Oh, I wonder if, I wonder, I wonder, well, like he thinks about, you know, a movie like this coming out, you know? I'd love to know what Jim Brown thought of this. Oh, yeah. I'd love to sit down with Jim Brown. First time I ever heard about Jim Brown, I was like seven or eight. And it was because, uh, yeah, I had to be, it was 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. And because LeBron James, that's when he was a senior in high school. So, you know, he's, his games were on TV all the time, whatnot. And when he was a junior and senior in high school. And so he got in trouble one time for LeBron did for like, he bought jerseys, you know, and one of them was a, like he bought jerseys and a a lot of stuff happened. I don't want to say that I know exactly what happened. There's there's some some financial stuff involved, and he had to stop playing some games for a minute because he had accepted some gifts or something, and there were some jerseys, and one of them was a Jim Brown jersey. Well, LeBron James played high school basketball in Akron, Ohio. You know, you know, Jim Brown played for the Cleveland Browns, not too far from Akron. So it's like you know, wouldn't think much of it, but he got in huge trouble for wearing that jersey out in public. So when I saw that picture of him wearing the Jim Brown jersey, it was like, oh, here's LeBron. You know, I was immediately, I was like, well, who's that? If LeBron thinks he's cool, then I got to, th- <laughs> <laughs> then I'm, a, I need to know he's cool. So since I was about, you know, seven or eight, I've, uh, I've been a Jim Brown fan <laughs> because, because of LeBron. <laughs> oh, I love that. Dude's 84 now and uh, obviously retired, but he still does, you know, tours conventions, mostly, you know, football conventions, not, not Comic-Con. <laughs> Nah, not, 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 not getting to a whole lot of Tim Burton stuff. First time I saw Jim Brown was in a King Tut costume. And then he ripped it off, walked, you know, to into a field of Martians to let Tom Jones escape. And he beat the living fuck out of the Martian ambassador. And it's one of my all time favorite movie moments where he's the heavyweight champion of the world, sacrificing himself to fuck up some Martians and save Tom Jones and his friends. I love it. Uh, I love how we have such different relationships with Jim Brown. 
Yeah, that's perfect. But we still both love him. Yeah, he's awesome. It's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, oh boy. Um, so let's talk a bit about uh, this film in general. Um, just some stuff that stood out. Um, yeah, let's take it from the top because we kind of teased the intros and stuff. You know, I've already talked a bit about that, so we can just kind of kind of go through. What What did you think about the transition from all of that? You know, kind of fast action intros there's they show you know the fight they show Cassius Clay fighting and he starts screaming and hollering what do you think about you know that transition from there to them actually at the motel actually hanging out I thought it was perfect I thought we we if you had never heard of these people you knew right there exactly who you're dealing with you knew what Malcolm was about what Cassius was about Jim and Sam you knew everything you needed to know for this movie uh, granted, if you knew who they were already, you have a lot more to enjoy about this film, a lot more to, is significant to you. But I like that it kind of plays to all comers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought the, especially uh, Sam Cooke's intro was just a fucking mess. And uh, yeah, just from already, you know, they don't even want him there to him talking to the crowd and nobody's paying attention to him because he's a black guy. And they won't play like they won't let him bring his guitarist up. He's knocking over the mic stand. It's just, and this is one of the most celebrated singers in American history. And this is this is what he had to deal with. It's, it's fucking depressing. And then of course, Jim Brown, with like the man who's like his family's been like back and forthing like for years. It's such a such a good scene. It's so kind hearted, and you're like, oh, they're friends. And like at first, I'm like, how are they friends? Like knowing historically that in the 60s it was weird for a black man and an older white gentleman to even be in the same room together in georgia so i was waiting for the other shoe to drop and then it did and it was just like fuck what a devastating way to end that scene of just yeah. like oh my god the way that's the casual like nice way he says it like don't you know we don't do that like, yeah, fuck. it's brutal. Fuck. And it sets up, you know, brutal. Jim Brown's whole thing later of like, I hate the nice white people who look down on me more than I hate the rednecks. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, ugh. well, yeah, yeah, for sure. I would rather if I were in any situation where there's people who hate me, I would rather know that you don't like me. Fine. But I would rather that than someone act like they like me, just using me, whatever it is. And yeah, that's got to be fucking demoralizing and it's manipulative and it's ridiculous. Yeah. One of the worst feelings is people, you know, playing nice to your face, but in real life, you know, thinking you're worthless compared to me. And I can't imagine what that feels like. It's yeah. This movie really does, you know, it strikes nerves as it should. Uh God, <laughs> but also there's times where it's like really, really funny. Like oh, extremely. Yeah. These four guys have such amazing chemistry. Like when <laughs> Jim Brown and Cassius are in the room, and Cassius is like bouncing in some weird ass way. <laughs> Jim Brown's just like, "What are you, a giant fucking baby?" <laughs> <laughs> He's just looking at him like, "What the hell is he doing?" <laughs> Little stuff like that. There's so many great lines. In I love movie. all that stuff. I love. I love. That's. Aldous Hodge kind of at his best right there comedically he's just he, he just looks at people like they're <laughs> like 
<laughs> so funny. It's awesome. You know, I mean, of all these guys, you know, Cassius is such a weirdo because, you know, just to consider yourself like I'm the greatest of all time. He just became the heavyweight champ. He's got all these weird rules and these weird rituals. And then Jim Brown's just, you know, football player doing his best. Like he, he knows he's not in the same, like, you know, mindset as the rest of these guys. He's just like, what the fuck is wrong with all of you? I love that. I love that. He's just looking, you know, he's almost on the outside looking in the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. At times for sure. He, he, I, I think he's definitely just kind of taking it in. Just yeah. trying to trying to see what the hell's going on with these with these dudes. Uh, it's definitely an eccentric group, a pretty wild group. It's fun. A couple other lines I really liked were, uh, I don't remember who said this, but it was, "Why don't you be like Bing Crosby and accentuate the motherfucking positive?" <laughs> <laughs> so that was, good. That was fantastic. And then um, two that I really liked, not for comedic value, but for like you know cultural significance. Uh, everybody everybody talks about wanting a piece of the pie i want the goddamn recipe yeah that was great that was great loved love that yeah well let's yeah let's talk about you know let's talk about that because this movie is you know as it is awesome it it is quite simple right now you know a lot of it is in one room and because like you said it, it is a play so it definitely has that feel and like what you just brought up that 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 bit from from Sam Cook, it comes from you know Malcolm X challenging him, yeah, and really really digging into him. So, you know, as they move up to the roof, when they're just kind of hanging out and they see some fireworks, and Malcolm has the the camera and they're just kind of making fun of it and it almost breaks and he's like, "You idiots!" You know. I love when he breaks. Malcolm X is no longer Malcolm X. He's yeah. like, don't bring my goddamn camera. <laughs> it just turns into that. Man, I, I love love stuff like that. Yeah, it's just like, get the duck, fuck off. <laughs> this thing's expensive. <laughs> my wife bought it for me, you bastards. Betty bought it. Fuck off. And and that that's that's really great to see. But but once we move, once all these gentlemen are, you know, they're hanging out in the motel and they move to the roof. And as they start kind of arguing and bickering, and it's definitely between Malcolm and, and Sam. It's clearly there's something between them two that's a little bit deeper. And they go back into the, you know, into the room, the motel room. And that's when you have the stuff that you brought up, that, that line you brought up. And I thought the acting from Kingsley when he plays Bob Dylan oh. was like, almost scary like because he's there was one point where he did this thing that malcolm x like i seems like he does sometimes when he's speaking he's like his 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 upper lip like tucks under and all you can see is his teeth and it's almost scary because he's so into what he's saying to you and he's looking in your eye and he's like you know listening to these lyrics and he's like ha 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 you know almost like the joker like, ah, did you hear that? You know, like, I, as a matter of fact, and I thought, I thought that was a special moment for him as an actor, but then it was this extremely divisive moment in the movie where I was like, uh-oh. It got to a point where I was like, this is getting to a conversation where I, 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 all I can do is observe. I have no say here. When 
but I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to digest it because I think these kinds of things are really important for people like you and I, Connor, to, to look at, to see, see this perspective. And I thought like those moments when Malcolm's being really challenging and then Sam's throwing it back at him. I thought that was undoubtedly the most powerful stuff in the movie. It's on purpose. It's the most powerful stuff. And they, they just, neither of them really back down and, and until something, you know, major happens or until, you know, Cassius really steps in, like really steps in. But man, I was just, just kind of blown away by that moment, that transition from them snapping at each other to Malcolm throwing on the Dylan record. And it just, just kind of, you know, blew me away. Like, is this is a white boy from Minnesota, though, isn't it? You know, just the knowledge he has of his, of what he's speaking about and the knowledge Malcolm X has of white people. Yeah. Is, is astonishing because he, he knows his enemy better than the enemy knows themselves. And that, that like, that like really showed right there because this is a guy who like hates white people spoke about it a lot, you know, and they talk about it in the movie. They bring it up, you know, they make it, they make that a thing that can be a conversation where they're like, dude, you, you literally hate white people no matter what, you know, Sam Cook's like lighten up, bro. Like you hate, you hate everybody who has white skin. You think they're all like devils. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, and they bring that up and it's, that stuff is super divisive and super fascinating. And I'm very keen on hearing multiple conversations about it, but I'm like, I, I just, I don't even know, you know, I would have nothing to say. I'm just, I, I realize how I don't understand these things. I hear them, but I can't, I cannot put my, myself in these shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it makes watching this movie that much better of an experience for me personally, because I accepted that I was like, I, 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 it doesn't, I don't need to totally wrap my mind around this. I'm, I, I need to just, I need to just let this, let this hit me. And, and I did. And, those moments were really powerful, man. Very divisive. And I think they're going to create conversations for a long time. Uh, I think movies like this, as they get reevaluated, and I think as you rewatch them, I think those are big moments, big, big moments. Well, I let movies like this kind of fill in the gaps for me of stories. I don't know of stories. I can't relate to. I get to see what the filmmakers bring to the table on this. And I trust Regina King and Kent Powers to tell this story to tell a story like this. And, you know, just like I trusted Spike Lee to tell Malcolm's story with that 1992 movie. Because I don't know. And I don't pretend to know. And I don't pretend to know what it feels like to be a black person in the United States. And this is what I get to, you know, with these films, I get to witness as best I can what it's like. And that's all I can ask. Yeah. Yeah. To, to hear and watch and process, digest black stories created by black people is, is so essential to, of course, the black community, but it's very essential to, to, to us, man, to white Americans that have created this toxic environment. It's up to us to, to do this, do this homework, watch this stuff. Like you said, learn, learn, enlighten yourself. And 
I think when you do that and you kind of sit back and observe it and allow it to be this perspective and not something that you have to understand every little thing because it, it is gray. It is tough. Just like these, these guys are buddies, you know, they're just arguing, debating and talking about what they think about life. And that's what we all do, right? You're watching with these guys that really, really, really matter to American history. And that's cool. That's really cool. It is very cool. It is extremely cool. And the ending is so well-crafted of, you know, Sam Cook unveiling his new song he's been working on in the Carson show and introducing a change is going to come to the world and then getting to, you know, have that montage of where everybody is now with that song and Malcolm watching it on TV and having that little smile of like, I knew you could do it. It's, I thought that was very rewarding. Of course. And I thought that tacked on to the most rewarding scene for me was when cash chases down Sam. Cause Sam of course leaves for a second after him and Malcolm are really heated. Finally, they're all four back. And that, that shot of all four of them on the two hotel beds. You have two gentlemen on one bed and two gentlemen on the other. And they're like really close, like in a huddle almost. And that's when Malcolm decides to kind of use his knowledge and calmness in that moment to just kind of reflect and tell a story. And I thought it was, Another, another really, really good piece of acting from him when he tells the story of what happened in Boston. And one of the, one of the coolest moments, though, is when Sam Cook's like, you've seen me play? And he's like, five times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he puts up his hand. And I, I just I thought all that stuff was spot on and looked like Malcolm and felt like Malcolm. You know, the, I, thought, I thought Kingsley really nailed those moments. And then when he... And when he re- really reflects and tells the story and has some patience there when he's telling what happened in Boston and how the power, you know, he had no power and he had to kind of do some stuff acapella and people started clapping and stomping their feet. And just, that was a really cool moment. And really another huge moment for Kingsley as an actor, as he just kind of narrates this, this moment and he's reflecting. It's a little flashback to the past. And I thought that was so special. And then you have Sam Cook actually doing the song after that really nice shot of Aldous Hodge asking as Jim Brown asking, let me hear it. And he never says it until the end of the movie. He actually plays it. Now that's, that's awesome. That's good directing. (laughs) That's really good. That's really good filmmaking. So I I loved all that. I thought the last 15 minutes were rewarding, but never felt like gimmicky. Yeah, I agree. It never felt unearned or gratuitous. Which yeah. is impressive for a film that's based entirely off a what if scenario. Um, I thought it was hilarious how the, the Boston flashback made Jackie Wilson look like an enormous prick. Yeah, <laughs> hilarious. Just a petty asshole. I thought that was funny. And then um, <clears throat> the scene where um, Jim Brown retires from football on the set of The Dirty Dozen. I thought that yeah. was really cool. Like <laughs> yeah, I reckon was I was like the tank yeah. and the costume. That's the dirty dozen. That was I funny. remember reading in the trivia when he did that, like he was told you either quit the movie or we're fining you. And he's like, well, fuck it. I'm out. I want to, I want to act. That was huge. That was enormous. Like that was, you know, could have just completely destroyed any hope of any kind of career he had. 
but he fucking killed it in the Dirty Dozen and was able to have a movie career. Wonderful. <laughs> so cool. Gotta love that. I, I yeah, I, I'm really into Jim Brown. I think uh, I think I might have to get myself a jersey of him one day. <laughs> oh, fuck it, me too. <laughs> that would be hilarious. We both just become Cleveland Brown fans. Yeah, Jim Brown, man. Fuck it. Yeah, I have no football interest whatsoever, but I will wear a Jim Brown jersey. Yeah, same. <laughs> same. I would also wear a Paul Crew jersey, like Adam Sandler's character from The Longest Yard. So if anybody wants to send a link, you know, I'm right here. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. Um, I give One Night in Miami an eight. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic drama. Tells a fascinating glimpse into an historical event that could have happened. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm definitely going to rewatch this one. I also give it an eight. I think it could rise or it could just hang right there. We'll see. Um, I think think. We got we got something to really look at with multiple people here, and that's the the main thing that we've seen here as we're talking about Regina becoming a new director. Kent Powers is obviously on the scene now with Soul and this film, and then this you know crew of crew of actors. These guys are going to be here; they're going to be around, and I'm excited for everybody involved. Uh, definitely a solid eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh. Well, with that, um, any final thoughts on One Night in Miami? No, man. No, I just, yeah. If you, you know, listen this far, I assume you watched it. If not, Amazon Prime, baby. (laughs) Hell yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, This is, you know, our third episode of the Sneak Preview. I think the show is going swimmingly. And uh, we love doing it, getting to investigate, you know, what's happening in film right now. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, super, super fun. Next week is going to be a blast. Just like the week after that, we're going to keep this thing rolling. Sneak preview uh, is is tagging along with film guys on Oscar Sunday, and we're gonna keep keep this train rolling. Yes, indeed. This week on Wednesday on the Film Guys and Podcast, we're doing a fan requested film, 1988's The Beast of War, a Cold War adventure thriller from director Kevin Reynolds. This coming Sunday, we're discussing Sally Field's Oscar winning performance in 1984's Places in the Heart on our Oscar Sunday podcast. Oh yeah, can't wait. As far as next week's sneak preview, there's. Not really anything coming out this weekend. Um, there's the Jason Siegel, Dakota Johnson, Casey Affleck dramedy, Our Friend. But that's a theater release, so it's in no way a sure thing. So we're going to experiment a little with something pretty cool. We're going to revisit one of our all-time favorite franchises, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, and recast it with actors of similar skill and look to try and make a franchise cast we think could be just as good. So we'll go through Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises and recast the principal actors, so about 20 characters. It'll be a fun opportunity to just shoot the shit about the Dark Knight trilogy and have fun for an hour and change. So don't miss it. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be loads of fun. Going to be trying to do a lot of shit like that. Yeah. Uh, If there's anything that we've missed for next week's possibilities, uh, please reach out and let us know at filmgasm at gmail.com or Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at filmgasmproductions. Have a fantastic week, listeners.